Welcome to the Youth Capital Podcast with your hosts, Zach Swan and Jonah Wenzel. Join us as we dive deep into the world of finance, business and wealth creation. Please note we are not financial advisors. All information on this channel is not financial advice. All content created by Youth Capital is created solely for educational and entertainment purposes only. Consult with a licensed financial advisor before making any investment decision. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Youth Capital Podcast. Today, we're extremely fortunate to be joined by Andrew Page. Andrew is a passionate private investor and the founder and managing director of Strawman, Australia's premier online investing club. Andrew, thanks for coming on, mate. We really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Oh, it's great to be here. Hey, how are you guys? Yeah, pretty good. Keen to talk about some some Bitcoin and, and other things, whichever whatever comes up. Yep, yep. Let's do it. Um, before we get started, Andrew, we'd love to get a bit of background on how you got started in the equity markets and what Strawman does. Yeah, okay. So the, the short version is I, I sort of accidentally landed in it um, and then got bitten by the bug. Uh, so it's been about 20 or so years now working in one capacity or another. Um, and the, yeah, the idea with Strawman was that I just felt as though it was, it was hard to connect with other investors. It tends to be a pretty lonely pursuit. And there's certainly a lot of other platforms out there, but they tend to be pretty noisy, um, unproductive places. So the, the idea was to, I guess, basically just do what's been done for years, which is just have an investment club, but just have it as an online only investment club and um, try and just, you know, connect people to share ideas and share insights. And hopefully at the end of the day, get some improved returns. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been up and running for actually, we just had our five year anniversary since we turned the alpha version on. So wow, yeah, congratulations. It's going well. Yeah. I've been on there for a while. It's very helpful. I haven't, I'm on the waiting list, but. Well, we, we're, we're thinking of opening again soon. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> hang tight. Watch this space. And I'm um, Andrew. We loved your um, Bitcoin pitch at FinFest and we'd love to get your thoughts on Bitcoin today and ask you a few questions around what's happening in the crypto markets today. Yeah, well, happy to happy to talk about it. It's something I'll, I'll be ad, admit it and say it right up, up front. It is something that's a little bit of a a guilty pleasure and and um, something that's a little bit embarrassing because it's still it's a very early technology. Still, it's been around fourteen years or so now, but almost. Um, but it is something that's I think very easy to to laugh at and feels very reckless and stupid in a lot of ways. And we've seen. A lot of those sort of viewpoints reinforced with a lot of the events that have sort of happened in the broader quote unquote crypto space. But yeah, I guess I, it wasn't, look, obviously I've been aware of it for a while, but I'm always, I'm often reminded of the Gandhi quote, which is, you know, first, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight at you, and then you win. And it's been to sort of like bastardize that a little bit. It's been a bit like that with Bitcoin for me. And it's just like, you know, you hear about it, you don't pay any attention to it. Then especially in 2017, when we had that first really strong sort of bull run and then collapse, you know, there was, it was just so easy to laugh at. Like, honestly, what, what did it do? I actually was on a bunch of podcasts at the time sort of saying, I don't get it. It's a Ponzi. It's a bubble. It's going to, it's going to collapse. And that, that viewpoint was very much, um, reinforced after the, which it, it did. did. Yeah. It, I was going to say it crashed. Yeah. <laughs> But the, the thing that was surprising is that generally speaking, in fact, when I say generally, in all cases, when a Ponzi collapses, uh, that's it. It's done. You know, the, the gig's up. Um, this is, this continued to sort of survive. Not only did it sort of survive as a protocol and as a system, but the level of adoption tended to increase. I mean, we even had very small examples, of course, but we had sovereign states like El Salvador, Central African Republic, you know, uh, adopted as their, their national, um, currency. We've had institutions put it on their balance sheets, MicroStrategy being the most famous, but there are others. We've had a bunch of mining companies now listed. Sort of, it started to get into that in institutional space. So it was only really about 18 months ago or maybe maybe not even quite that long where I thought, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take it seriously. And, I'm, and, and really with the expectation that as I dug into it, I'd find the silver bullet that just goes, ah, yeah, this is why it's ridiculous. I've, I've, I can move on with my life now and I can rightly ignore it because it's just one of these crazy, crazy things. But the surprising thing was, is that as you sort of get deeper and deeper into it, and people often sort of joke of the Bitcoin rabbit hole, is that it, it, it tends to, well, at least for me and at least so far, and I like to think my mind's able to be changed, but 
you know, it just, wow, that's it. There's a lot of convincing arguments for it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really, I guess part of me is waiting for someone to, to land that killer blow because, I mean, this is, this is what straw man's all about, right? In fact, why it's called straw man. It's, we're all going to have our, our, you know, our investment view on various assets, but we're either right or we're wrong. And if we're wrong, I want someone to tell me I'm wrong before the market tells me I'm wrong because I could potentially lose a bit of cash on this thing. So, so yeah, that's why I'm always sort of happy to talk about it. In fact, we've got someone coming up on Strawman this week who's who's a um, podcaster in the space, and and that that's part of the idea just to just to really test it out. And I'm, I'm a fan of the Charlie Munger saying, which is you know take a wild idea and take it seriously. And I guess before people will come into this conversation and this pod that we're doing now, lads, with with preconceived ideas, as we all do. But I guess all I'd, I'd say right at the outset is that, you know, just go in with an open mind and definitely challenge the the thoughts and concepts that are expressed. But if anything, like you're like me, you'll find that it's, it's scarily alluring. <laughs> it's a powerful yeah. drug, as they say. And yeah. oftentimes when most people are thinking of crypto today, they're thinking of crash, it's just a number. But can you give a, everybody any what exactly is Bitcoin and why is it different from our standard fair currency? Yeah. See, it's such, it's such the obvious place to start, Zach. And it's, it's obviously, and it's the right place to start, but it's, it's surprising that you, you kind of, you kind of think you sort of make a few grounding statements and then just move on from that. But you, you actually like what you asked there was just such a huge thing. I mean, what is, what is money? Why is this a better form of money? How is it different from money? Like it's, it's it's all these slippery things that's like soap, you know, the, the tighter you try to sort of squeeze it, the more it, more it gets away from you. Um, but essentially, I think the, a good way of thinking about it is like aeroplanes, right? Like none of us here, I'm going to assume, but none of us here are aeronautical engineers. We, we don't understand how jet engines work or why you can have like 100 tons of metal and, <laughs> up in the sky. But we all trust and know and accept it because we've all been on planes. We see them around. We just, we, we can accept it. So I think, and then once, once you get to that point, you can basically say, Hey, what is the significance of international air travel? It's like, Oh, it's huge. It opens up all kinds of different things without understanding the technology. So I think that's probably a useful place to start in terms of the ideas without getting into the nuances of the mathematics and the cryptography and, and that kind of thing. And, and that, that's really what's hard about this thing because this thing will take you over all kinds of social dimensions. It'll take you through mathematics and cryptography. It'll take you through finance and economics. It'll take you through history. It'll take you through politics. So with all of that preamble out of the way, I would say when you, when you distill it all down, what you really have here is a pseudonymous individual or people, group of people we don't know, called Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009, um, created digital scarcity. So for the first time ever online, we have something where there's only a finite amount. And it's kind of a big idea. It's kind of like, you know, in maths when they invented zero, it sort of feels funny today when you hear that, because how is that not always a thing? But it's that kind of, it's that kind of innovation and breakthrough in, in computer science technology. And once, and once you've sort of got that, you've also got to attach to it the other weird idea that this is a entirely peer to peer system. So no one, no one person or group controls it. This is what it means by decentralized. So, you know, as long as you've got a couple of people around the world running it, this thing lives on. So it's extremely strong, extremely anti-fragile. In fact, it's never crashed. It's never been hacked. 14 years of, of, of operation, you know, flawlessly. Um, so that's weird. That's new. We haven't had that before. Um, it's also completely open source and opt-in. So anyone can use it. Any There, there is... That makes it permissionless. You can't stop people from using it, even if you don't like it. <laughs> um, and it means it's all, there's a lot of word, a bit of a word salad, I guess I'm throwing at you here, but each of these terms are an hour podcast on their own. So we, we have to be brief in a little, in a certain sense. Um, but they're all, they're all big, they're all big ideas. Um, we're not even halfway down the list yet. I can add to that that it's, it's trustless, you know, so I, I can know with a digital token, this thing that doesn't exist in the physical universe, I can know that if you give me one of those, that I can absolutely verify that and know with 100% certainty that that is real. As much as I know that the fourth digit of pi is, or whatever the fourth digit of pi is, we will always agree on that. Um, so it's a you get this system which is 
which has rules but without rulers. You have this you have this system that is not reliant on a central authority to do anything. It's it's this immortal, unassailable entity, you know, that anyone everywhere at any time can interact with and have 100% trust in. And so that's where it leads you to the money sort of side of things, which is a huge deep, deep hole. But it, it is it is essentially what the the Austrian economists would call it. It's hard money. In fact, it's it's the hardest money <laughs> that, that that you can have. There is no surprises in terms of the issuance schedule. You know, we all, we all know exactly how much there will be, and we can all we can all and this thing lives natively on the internet. We can all interact with. We can I can send you um, value. Uh, using this protocol um, uh, very quickly, very efficiently, very cheaply, um, I can, you know, all I need is a seed phrase, and I'm I'm good to go. And it's, I mean, I've got to stop at this point because I just keep on going and going and going. But it's just it, these are all massive, massive ideas. And so when it when it first came, when all of that kind of stuff first came, it's like it's like a lot of stuff, you know, like quantum computing or fusion. It's like oh, it's all this theory and thoughts and thinking around it it's really cool but i think what's different about it as i said before this is this is up and it's running and and now if you want to it's very easy just to focus on the price of this thing which i think is very misleading but if you sort of say okay that's an interesting idea and you, you'll probably need to meditate on each of those things for a while there that i said but but if you just want to say well let's measure what what this might look like if it was in, increasing in adoption and you'd say, well, there'd be more users on the network. We'd see more digital wallets. We'd see um, uh, we'd see the number of nodes increasing. We'd see the hash rate and the mining amount increasing. We'd see increasing use usage in different domains, be that the, the corporate or institutional or sovereign kind of levels. And so under any of these kinds of metrics, it's just sort of like absolutely moved in exactly the right direction. And it feels potentially like it's the very early stages of an S-curve. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with S-curves, but they're, they're very, very powerful um, technology sort of adoption curves that 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 um, we have seen again and again, whether it's with steam power, electricity, the internet, computing, mobile phones, you know, the internet, et cetera, whatever. There's, there's lots of examples. And you have this, you have this basic phenomena where the time it takes you to get to ten percent adoption is the same time it takes you to get to ninety percent adoption, and that's kind of what's hooked me at this point. That it it feels as though still ridiculously early days, and I'm I'm thinking that this story plays out over decades. But but it 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 fascinates you in terms of its its application and its potential. Yeah, I just want to touch on that point, um, Andrew. Digital scarcity. That's because there is only twenty one million Bitcoin, and there will only ever be twenty one million Bitcoin. Yep. So um, actually, there's not right right at this second. Oh, there's, there's nineteen oh, yeah. something million. Yeah. Um, because they're still mining. Part yeah. Of reward for securing the network. The miners unlock or discover um, more Bitcoin. So, it, but yeah, in about the I think it's about twenty one oh four or something. The last Bitcoin will be mined. At that point, the miners still have incentive mechanisms through um, uh, transaction fees and etc. But yeah. So there will, but but we, but the the thing, Zach, that we know is that we know that that's the upper limit, and we know ex we know that every ten minutes, but because this is a, a blockchain, and every ten minutes a, a new block is is created. At this point in time, I think it's six point two five new bitcoins are uh, discovered and and added to the pool, and then every four years, roughly, that halves. There's a halving cycle, so then it'll it'll go to half of that, um, and that. So it's the schedule and it's the amount. And the other thing that's interesting too is that there's actually, I think there's something like varying estimates, but up to 5 million coins that are lost forever. And when I say lost, How does that even work? last praise is gone. So <laughs> it's fascinating, Jonah, because th this is, this is where, this is another rabbit hole we can go down, but this is the maths <laughs> rabbit hole. But it's something like the, the level of encryption that's involved here, the level, it's like if you had to guess my PIN number. There's 10,000 combinations, right? You'll brute force it eventually if you're given enough goes at it. It's actually not that hard. The level of, of possible addresses that are on the Bitcoin network 
and the way that it's that, that it works is something like there's more then there are more combinations than there are atoms in the universe so you could build a dyson sphere around our sun and just fill it full of supercomputers and run it for the next 5 billion years and still not likely guess my my address and and we even what's even it's that's insane a mind to think blow. about it's that what's that's a mind blow what's a new yeah. bigger mind blow is that it's actually future proof as well because there's a difficulty adjustment in how in how this all works so it's actually it's actually built that even if computing gets extremely uh powerful we will still have 10 minute block times and we will still have that same kind of maths at play which is which is what gives again coming back to these big foundational ideas it's why you can reasonably assume that this thing is immortal and unassailable and 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 um timeless because it, 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 essentially, if the internet is running, at least there's one or two computers somewhere in the world that are running. And let's face it, that's not a guarantee. But if if that scenario unfolds where that's no longer true, you're just you're 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 surviving in a Mad Max hellscape, right? Like yeah. the no matter what you do, you're going to be in, in in big trouble. So without the without this collapse of civilization, it gives you that level of confidence that it will exist and that it will be around for a long, long time. That's yeah, crazy wow. to think about. Uh, with the I just want to go like, uh, I want to branch out a little bit. So you've gone into decentralization, you've gone into mining, you've gone into exactly what it is and how it's different from our standard currency today. But where's, where's the value? What, what, what makes someone want to pay 16,000 US dollars rather than 15,000 US dollars? You know, what, why do people, where, how does it go up and down? You know? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a hundred percent the right question. Um, and it's a very difficult one. I mean, this is <clears throat> this is where I think just starting out as generally in equities as investing, it forces you to think a lot about value. Because obviously in, in assets in might... equity markets, you, you, it's an asset where you can value based on you know, revenue, growth, blah, blah, blah. There's Whereas cash reduces, flows. Exactly, yeah. Here it is. There's not. cash flows. Yeah. This is entirely different. It's, it's, uh, so it's, it's really, 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 really tricky. Um, so I guess the first thing you, you have to say is is um, whatever value it does have, it's likely tied to the value that it creates, the utility that it has, and the number of people that, that share that utility. It's got this really – money has this really weird um, phenomena where the, the very – value of it determines its attractiveness. So if Bitcoin at the moment is something like what 400 billion US dollars in market cap. So it's pretty big and it's grown a hell of a lot despite coming back, but it's not really at the size where we can just put on board the entire international global um, remittance and transfer systems and um, you know financial networks and the rest of it. But as it comes larger in value, it actually becomes more valuable. It becomes more liquid. If you've ever tried to trade in penny stocks and, and very liquid stocks, you know that the that the the practicality and the utility is actually tied to the to the to the liquidity that's that's all there. So um, that can I be think very frustrating, by the way, <laughs> when yeah, you know the company yeah. progression is going up. And, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. So I think I think I think you're going to just see increased utility. So the, the thing is, is I don't know. You guys might be a bit young to remember, but when email first came through, it was a pretty clunky experience, very different to what it is now. But it's a similar idea. It was an open protocol, and it very quickly became very user friendly. So you don't know whether you're using IMAP or POP3 or whatever kind of you know standard that's sort of in there. People just build things on top of it. And where it's interesting is sort of this open source, digitally native protocol. Um, People are building all kinds of things on top of that at the moment. So you, I can actually stream value, tiny, tiny amounts of value, fractions of a cent, virtually for free. Um, I this kind of stuff will be integrated in in new ways that we haven't really done online yet. But it also disrupts existing financial systems. I and mean, if I have to transfer money using Western Union or something like that, it takes days and it costs for a fortune. Now I can do it virtually instantly for virtually nothing type thing. So that's that's completely disrupted. You know, the complete point of sale payment rails are basically owned by a handful of, of companies and they charge you 3% and stuff for transactions. And like, you know, and there's, and there's weeks worth of before there's actual final settlement. So this is potentially um, disrupts that as well. It just becomes potentially for an, well, for an increasing number of people 
um, estimates vary, but they, they reckon there's at least a million people with, with more than a Bitcoin out there, which is a significant, significant sum of money. So people are also using it as a savings vehicle, very volatile one, admittedly, as you, as you probably expect. Um, but all of these things tend to work together. And what's, what's interesting is they all tend to have at least the, the capacity or the potential for very potent network effects. So it's like the more people on the network, the more value it has for a user on the network. And so I would say it's far from a fait accompli at this stage, but it just, when you, when you look at all of those things, you do see those network effects strengthening and the use case strengthening and the adoption looking like an S curve. Again, very early. This is, I don't think there's anything that's going to change, um, you know, overnight with this kind of thing. I mean, again, you guys might be a bit too young to remember, but. You know, I, I first got online in the late nineties. It was, it was, a, and I, I could have bought Amazon shares at three bucks and watched them go to 30 cents over the next couple of years and then sit there for years afterwards. Now I've wow. obviously made, you know, whatever it is, 50 X or my, my money in that point in time. But these people, people were exactly right in the late nineties to get very excited about the internet. We see it from our vantage point today. And we're in three separate locations speaking live and just the, the internet has exploded. And, and the truth is everyone saw that potential. Well, not everyone, but enough people saw that potential. It just took that long for the, the tools and all the infrastructure to be built on top of it. The technology to catch it, up. <laughs> the, yeah. And just, and to make it, I don't want to have to be, a, a computer scientist to be able to use this stuff. You want it for your grandma that you can say, here you go, grandma, download this app on your smartphone. Boom. You're on the Bitcoin network. Here you can use it for this, 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 and this, you know? And um, so I think, I think that's the thing to watch. So that's why I think it will increase in value, but the caveats here, and these are the really important things to stress is that we're talking about something that will likely play out over a 10 year period, at least, you know, Hopefully sooner that'd, that'd be great if, if it did, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. It's also something that could like, you know, you could be listening to this a week after we recorded it and it could be down another 70% from here. I mean, what, what would it look like when something was organically spinning up from zero, <laughs> uh, other than very sort of uncertain and, 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 and volatile, but, but I think the broader trend will be up and, and the broader trend will be up as long as the utility increases and the, the amount of users on the network increases. And I think as long as and, the, the and fundamentals stay the same as well, because fundamentally it hasn't really changed in the last year. It's just TikTok the price has next still shat itself. Yeah. As long as that, as long as the network stays up and then you get this Lindy effect, which is this idea that the longer something persists, the, the more likely it is to continue to persist. And it's sort of like, you know, at this point in time, we've got, a bit over a decade of track record. Well, in 10 years time, we'll now have 20 years of track record of never going down, of working perfectly, of having more people trust on it. So the, the bet here is if it does, the, the, the first question is, does it survive? Is it around in 10 years time and does it operate exactly as we kind of expect over that period? If your answer to that is yes, well, I don't know what the exact value is, but it's orders of magnitude higher than, than what it is today. Kind of, it kind of, it kind of needs to be. Um, and the other way, and if it's not, of course, fair enough, it could, it, someone could hack it or it could crash tomorrow. I, again, when you really dig into it, you, you understand how vanishingly unlikely that is, but you've got to account for that potential. So, so Bitcoin is worth a lot or it's worth nothing. And, and that's, that's still interesting. I think from an investor's point of view, if you guys have ever been familiar with expected value calculations, which are really simple, but they're just a really great way to decide whether a bet is favorable enough. And, and essentially what you do is you take the probability of an outcome, you multiply it by that outcome, and then you add the probability and the uh, outcomes of other outcomes altogether. I'm explaining this terribly, but, but Google it. Google expected value. It's a very simple formula. And you can sort of say, so I've, I've done some numbers, right? So let's say that there's a 10% chance that it grows in adoption. And let's say that under this scenario in 10 years' time, Bitcoin's $500,000 a coin. And that, that equates roughly to the market cap of gold today. So even if it stays, you know, this is, I think actually longer term, it has the potential to be far higher than that. But let's just say that's where, that's where it gets to. And the gold market cap's currently 10 trillion. No, no the market trap at, cap at the moment is, is actually like three or 400 in US dollar terms, three or 400 billion. 
Oh, so oh it's, four it's, goals. It, at 500K, you're right, Zach. Sorry, sorry, 500K, you're right. Be about $10 trillion. Yeah. In total, in total market cap, which is about the market cap of gold. And just for- Oh, sorry, you continue on. No, please, please, go ahead. Sorry. It's oh, a, yeah, and gold, uh, market cap of gold is $10 trillion, and it's just crazy to think about because we're not even on the gold standard. Like, imagine the Bitcoin standard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this, I, I, I come back to this point of it's sort of like you can, you can debate the toss as to whether it sort of survives and, and, and more people sort of use it or not. But, and if you think it's just going to all end in zero, then fine. I mean, I'll get, I'll get to that in a point, at, at this point. But I'm saying that even if, if this is, this is our reasoning here, if it survives and if it sees increased usage, it probably will see increased value. And something like gold is a useful, useful comparative tool. You could say that, look, the size of the global bond market or real estate or equities or other, other well-known stores of value are many, many, many trillions of dollars higher. So I think it's not, it's, it's, it's bullish, but it's actually not as crazy as it might seem when you look at other yardsticks that you might measure a global digital asset on, particularly with the, the, the use case that we're assuming. But anyway. Let's say that's what it is, 10% chance, $500,000, 10 years' time. And you say 10% chance, it's just a niche thing. kind of settles where it is at the moment, you know, which is very negative. There's been a big sort of pullback on on terms of the price. It remains a very, very small number, a level of adoption worldwide, and it probably just like meanders around $20,000. And it just it, that's where it is in another 10 years. And then you say, well, there's an 80% chance that it goes to absolute zero, just completely collapses and, and, and breaks. We, so you do the maths on that. So 0.1 times 500,000, 0.1 times 20,000, and 0.8 times zero. You add it all together and you get 52K. So that's like three times the current price. We're just sort of talking in USD terms here. Um, so, so what you have, I think, is you have this incredible asymmetry. So... If you want to sort of say, oh, look, there's a yeah, eight and 10 chance it goes to zero, my reply is yes, but if it doesn't, the gain is potentially big enough to warrant the investment. So does that mean that you you go and lay all of your life savings on, on this thing? Like, absolutely not. But I do think in the year 2022, with where we are, you kind of it's kind of reckless not to have a 1% or 2% allocation because if it does go to zero, it's really not going to change things that much for you. It's it, it's honestly not. If it if it goes up fifty fold from here under under the scenario that that we're using, um, more, a little bit more than that, that that one or two percent is going to become a very significant portion. And you don't have to just lay your bet now and then that's it. <clears throat> let's let's see what the future brings. You can adjust. You will either see again. You've got to look at the right markers here. The markers price is is not unimportant. But, but as I say, if we see more and more people opting into the network, and remember, it doesn't care if you like it or someone else doesn't like it or the RBA's authorized it or the, you know, it, it's, it's permissionless, open source, all of that kind of stuff. And we can just say factually today, more people every day, so far at least, are, are opting onto this thing. So if that continues, that's a, I think that's an incredibly strong sign. As, as sort of uh, intrigued and, and Excited, I guess I am about a lot of this stuff. If I was to see a plateauing, or you know, got even a even a reversal of that adoption trend, I think that for me at, at this point would be a, a pretty serious break to the thesis. It's kind of becomes it remains a very interesting thing and not a zero proposition. But if you want to really see the upside, you need to see this thing being adopted in more and more places and used by more and more people. And we're often very naive investors when we have these stable democracies. But for these countries without a stable democracy, Bitcoin adoption would be an absolute game changer for them. And they're not even thinking about their investment thesis and the, the price of Bitcoin. It's just a game changer for those countries, like Venezuela, for example. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It, it, um, is it Alex Gladstein? Or he um, says, you know, check your financial privilege. You've got so, – so one of the – one of the many, many things that is interesting about this technology is that it is truly global. We often talk about, as investors, you know, serviceable addressable market or the total addressable market, the TAM. You know, the TAM here is is 8 billion people in every part of the world. And if you want to take a broader perspective beyond your own sort of boundaries here, you have, you have something um, 
you have a, many billions of people that are unbanked and that are locked out of the traditional financial system. And this gives them, and they can, they can use this. And we've seen in, in the developing world, we have seen these countries completely leapfrog the desktop and the initial internet revolution that we had here. They've just gone straight to mobile. And now they've got access to all of these things. And people will go, oh, yeah, but Bitcoin's hardly ever accepted and it's really volatile. It's like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely got those problems in these early stages. But, you know, try, try living in Lebanon or in Venezuela or in Zimbabwe where you're experiencing hyperinflation, you know, and you're just trying to get by. So sort of actually Bitcoin is insanely stable and attractive relative to that. You know, it can't be seized. It can't be debased. Uh, you know, you, it, 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 has, it has huge advantages that, that um, I think is not too obvious to us here. And again, so, all of this stuff is being built out. They just had a big conference, a Bitcoin conference in Africa, and some of the stuff that they're doing, like Jack Moller's at, at Strike, He's got app on there. We don't have it yet available, unfortunately, in Australia. But on the Strike app, you, you can basically just – and this is this is where I actually think this would be a, a real pump-priming opportunity. Is it, He's basically integrated the traditional payment system in with Bitcoin using Lightning. So you can, you can take US dollars and send it to a local currency in Africa, but it will travel over the – the lightning network on Bitcoin. Lightning's a whole other thing we probably don't have time to get into. It's just a, it's a, it's a second layer on top of Bitcoin that allows it to scale <coughs> very fast transactions. But, or you can take the Bitcoin, um, or you can send, you can send Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin, send Bitcoin, receive local fiat, send local fiat, receive Bitcoin, any kind of combination. You have this interoperability of this thing and you now port in, I don't know, I, admittedly, you know, a lot of disadvantaged, very poor people, but you do opt in a lot of other people to this network who actually are using it far more than just some technological curiosity, but something that is a is an escape hatch to to a fundamentally broken and corrupt system that they're dealing with in some of these countries. And you know, it, it feels like you're talking about the exception to the rule here, but it, honestly, do do a bit of I don't want to tell people what to think, but do a bit of research on this, and you'll you'll find that. In a lot of these places, this is just the norm and it happens to a scarily high percentage. And even in the great Western democracies and the stability that we've so taken for granted, we're even seeing parts of, of well, you know, when, when things go wrong, that this is, these are far from perfect systems uh, as well. So it's huge. It's, 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 it seems hyperbolic to say all of these things. But I, I think, again, if someone's got a good reason as to why these couldn't happen, I, I'd be interested because it seems as though the the potential is pretty vast. I was going to. I was going to ask that. I think. What do you think fundamentally needs to change for, <clears throat> sorry, for for more countries or more places or shops to adopt Bitcoin as a form of tradable currency? Uh, it's this and this is this is an, again another fascinating part of it is that it doesn't. We're so used to this and the way that everything works is that we need someone to say, okay, we're bringing this to. What name your country? Everyone's waiting or, for the guinea pig. Or, it kind of feels like that. Well, no, it, no, it's it's more it's more that that we're here, we're waiting for you, and you're welcome to join whenever you want. Or you don't want it, don't have to. It's China tried to ban it, right? Did ban it um, in terms of mining and stuff. It impacted the hash rate in terms of. Um, I mean, by the way, that was still well above what was needed to make sure that the network was secured. But they suffered they suffered a fall in volumes there. The thing just kept on chugging along perfectly. You you can't stop you can't stop it. So it's not a, so people will individuals will just start using it because some people, admittedly, are probably on the fringe, and you know um, it's more the, the libertarian types that tend to sort of really embrace this stuff out of the gate. But you'll find people just opt on because for them in their particular set of circumstance and their particular worldview, they find it interesting. This is this is what's really important to understand. Doesn't require anyone say so. And then there's that network effect again. Other people will go, well, yeah, maybe I'll get onto it too. And it's not a wholehearted thing. It's not like I'm, I'm dropping fiat behind me and I'm, you know, some people do, but, but maybe I just have a moon wallet with, you know, a couple hundred bucks on it that I sort of use in certain circumstances. You'll find, you'll find that the toe just sort of gets dipped in. More people will start using it and just be in the same way that Uber just appeared, right? No, no, it, it, it ran ahead of every other regulation and, and authority and it just became endemic. And, and I think, I think that's what, that, that's what will happen here. So it will be a, 
My sense is it's all guesswork, so take this with a grain of salt, but my guess is that it will be a gradually then suddenly phenomena where it's kind of like it will hit a tipping point where it becomes, well, I'd be crazy not to have some. I just, I, I can think about how fast, I used this at the FinFest talk that I gave on, on Bitcoin. Remember how fast Afterpay rolled out? We didn't, we didn't have this buy now, pay later thing. Like, I don't know what, it wasn't five, a six thing. years ago? Mm. I don't know if you guys can remember. It wasn't, it was insanely new. And now it's everywhere. And now it's owned by one of the biggest payment or transaction companies in, in the it world. It was bought for like with 30, 30 something billion or something from him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all it is is a lay-by system, right? But people saw value in it. And, and no one said, hey, you have to accept this. But some merchants did. And they saw value. And then others did. And then, it, and then it's here. So I, I expect that that's what will happen with, with Bitcoin. I wouldn't dare put a time frame on it. But when you can say, in fact, shop, I dare say merchants won't even have to do much. They'll just find that one day there is an enable, you can enable it on your point of sale system. Like it's a plugin or something like that. People are building this stuff all the time, stuff out there right now. Just like, oh yeah, I'll turn that on. Why not? Well, I get, to, I get to attract a different type of market. The Bitcoiners out there will love to come and spend money here. Oh, when oh, I avoid the processing fees. Oh, when I get final settlement. Oh, actually, now I've got a little bit of Bitcoin in my hot little hand. Maybe I'll just convert it straight to Fed, or, or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll now use it. You want you want that circular economy to happen, but but it has the potential to 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 start very organically, probably very slowly, and then all of a sudden, all at once, kind of thing. Um, and the fact yeah. that these social um, socialist governments like China are banning Bitcoin it shows that there is something to be scared of. Them. There is future in Bitcoin, and that it would take the control away from the government and decentralize the citizens mm. and bring control of the people. Yep, and the banking sector. I think I think the banks have got the banks will be fine. That but they've got to remember that banks are originally just really warehouses for all the cash, right? And that we needed somewhere to sort of store our, our savings, and they take up some of those savings and they lend them to other people who they thought could productively use that. But I mean, a lot of what modern day banking is, they're just keeping ledgers themselves, just at their own private ledgers. In fact, the whole, the whole current global financial system is just ledgers built on top of ledgers built on top of ledgers. It all works pretty well. And we can all have a reasonable amount of trusted, and I'm not as much of a doomsdayer as some, some Bitcoiners. But, but the point is, is that it's, it's, I often say it's not a question of, of, having some conspiracy theory towards the evil of governments and, and the rest of it. I, I think a lot of this stuff can be explained by Hanlon's razor. Like don't, don't attribute to, to malice what can be you know, attributed to, to stupidity. Um, it's just that if you're given a choice between, let's use the Australian government as an example. I, I tend to think that we've got a pretty good government. I think we can trust them. I think the RBA is a good institution despite all of its problems and it has a lot of problems. Um, but, you know, given on, so on the spectrum about every Every government almost like this. Well, but you, you, I, I, I want to I lay it out in the sense to say, I don't think you have to be someone who thinks these are terrible institutions. Like they, they, they are overall, they do a pretty good job. And before this thing was invented, you know, actually the best, best way we knew how. It's just that now we've got something that is, has reached a maximum in terms of trust. Can you trust the Australian government? Yeah. Can I trust maths? Well, yeah, which one do I trust more? Like, well, I'm going to go with maths, right? Like, it might, maybe it takes a thousand years for some crazy kleptocracy situation to evolve in Australia, but it can. Or you can just have, you know, perturbations and bastardizations of it and manipulations of it along the way that just sort of different different degrees of bad. But this is this is something that's like 100% in the vault, rock solid, money for enemies kind of type situation, um, and and. And I, I think you you will find that that banks either adapt or, or they die. I'm I'm talking many years down the track years, but I don't I don't I can just have my own um, private wallet. I'll keep my I'll keep my savings there. You know, I'll transact using my apps. I I, I don't see what I'm what the bank is going to offer me unless it is some way to say, hey, let us look after your money and try and earn a yield on it. We've seen what happens with that when that's not done right, such as many banking disasters and collapses, and most recently with FTX. But it is a legitimate, it is a legitimate model. 
But it's just in terms of the traditional way that we're taught in school that these are going to be things that I do. This is where I save my money. It's like I don't, I don't think I need you anymore. Or these are these are the things that enable me to get FPOS cards and credit cards and stuff that allow me to interact with the modern day digital banking apparatus. Actually, I don't need that anymore. I can just, I can, I can be my own bank and I can do it in a really simple, easy, cheap, secure, fast way. And ultimately, for Bitcoin to be accepted as a form of currency, it needs to reach a point of less volatility as well, doesn't it? Like at the moment, I'm not thinking about using Bitcoin as a form of currency because there is so many swings in the market. But if Bitcoin were to say reach a ten trillion dollar yep. market cap, you'd be thinking about going to the grocery store and buying your apples with Bitcoin in your phone. So I think, you, yeah, we've we've got to map out where we are in a transition under a just to take it to a, its logical conclusion. Um, and you can have your own views on this, but under a hyper Bitcoinized Bitcoinization scenario, um, eventually it probably becomes more like gold in terms of what its value does day to day. Probably not, not a huge amount. It's, it's, it's as people on board, it's as it disrupts and disintermediates ex existing system. That's where any sort of value creation in the token itself lies. So during that process, yeah, and this, this, this to be 100% fair, this is, this is one of the challenges that Bitcoin has to overcome because if I've got an incentive to hoard and I'm not going to spend it, you know, it'll never take off. As I said before, we need to a degree and certainly eventually uh, some kind of circular economy to sort of develop on, on this thing. Even if that's an online only kind of economy and maybe that's enough to underpin serious value, but it still, it still needs to exist. What you, what you, um, what actually happens, and this is the way I do it, is you you basically, and again, because this is there's more tools being built on this and it's increasingly interoperable with the traditional system, is what you do is you just sweep money to your, to you, let me start again. You basically just buy some Bitcoin when you need it and you, you live, you, you buy whatever you can in Bitcoin using Bitcoin. Instead of just using your bank account, just convert it to Bitcoin and then pay for that. And then if for everything else, you've just got your savings, perhaps in cold storage somewhere on your own hardware wallet that just sort of sits there and that you try to contribute to regularly. But in terms of just the day-to-day -day spending, it's just sort of like, it's just, it, maybe you load up your, your, your software wallet with a few hundred bucks each week. And that's just the economy that you live in. You convert a certain amount of your pay each week. So you're kind of converting it and spending it in the same instance. So it makes it, it, helps prime that pump. Bitcoiners are going to do this because they want to support the network, right? They want to sort of see it grow. So it allows you to do that without interrupting that ability to sort of stack those sats, as they say, to keep sort of building, but also to help support and grow the network. And there's been that argument, Andrew, oh, we can just go back on the gold standard. That's very difficult. And the disadvantages to gold, can you yeah. say the disadvantage to, to, disadvantages to gold as a currency and why we can't just go back to the gold standard and how hard it would be for the government to accept that. Yeah. So gold was sort of like the best, the least worst um, solution to, to money um, as, a, as a, well, actually as a technology. And that's probably where we need to start off with here because money is just a technology. It's an invented concept that we have, but it's probably one of the biggest inventions in, in history. It's, a, it's what allows us to interact at scale. It's a global financial coordination mechanism. If you don't have money, we're all living in tribes of two to three or four or 500 people, max, max. Like money is what enables humanity to scale. And it is, it is as profound as I'm making it sound. Is it? So, it's, so it's absolutely huge. The trouble is, is that whenever you give a single party or, or group of people control over that, they're going to use it to their own advantage, right? So I get, I get to control that kind of stuff. So over the thousands of years, humanity found gold and we, we loaded onto a gold standard because it solved all of these problems. It allowed me to trade with enemies. It, it allowed me to have a very truly genuinely neutral form of, of currency because it was scarce. It was verifiable. To some degree, it was, it was transportable. Um, it was fungible. It was divisible. You know, I could have a bar or I could have a small gold coin. And it just meant that when I might never have met you before, maybe I think you're the dodgiest person in the world, but if you give me a lump of gold, I can probably work out that that's actually real gold and that someone else will accept that. So gold was just phenomenally useful and allowed, and very important for, for humanity. The trouble with it is, as they discovered a, you know, a few hundred years ago, is that it's actually, while it is 
more portable than bags of salt and maybe shells and other things. It's still still a bugger to carry around, and I can still get like mugged and all of these other kinds of things. Um, so people just basically that's where banks came from. But people just started putting them in banks, and then you have these claims on the gold, the little bits of paper that says I've got ten bars of gold back at the bank, and I'll give them to you by giving you this piece of paper as a proxy. And then through telecommunications with telegraph and all the rest of it i can now trans i can now i can now start speeding things up very 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 quickly but i need this abstraction between the gold that sits in vaults and these bits of paper that we use or electronic records that we use to sort of represent all of that kind of stuff and that's basically the the lesson of the last 150 years we sort of had that we transitioned to paper we've now transitioned to digital and we've just got again it's, it's ledgers all the way down um, but it used to be ledgers all the way down to gold. That was base money. And then in 1971, Nixon finally um, took the US off the gold standard. And that was that's what we mean by fiat currency. It is pure by decree by, by government. And actually, it's fine because ultimately, as long as we trust it and everyone trusts it, 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 it tends to be an, an, an okay system. But that's, that's another thing worth remembering. It's 50 years old, this system, the system that we all run on and all know and all see of as immortal in its current incarnation is only 50 years old. Um, and it's, but, but in transitioning to fiat, it's, it's allowed us to de-anchor from gold, which has had some advantages, had some, a lot of disadvantages and stuff as well. So it's why gold has always remained this an anachronistic sort of legacy element, but one that's, you know, got some value in jewelry and, tiny bit of circuitry, but mainly just as people will still accept it because we all accept the kind of thing. So where you have, where you have with, with Bitcoin is that actually it allows us to go back to some hard money standard, but in a way where we don't need claims of ownership, we can actually instantly settle this. We can transport this. One Bitcoin is divided into 100 million Satoshis, and that's abstract. We can change that as the network wants to as well. So infinitely divisible, instantly transportable at the speed of light. It's an actual digital uh, bearer instrument. It's not only that, it's programmable as well. So I can now start to do really interesting things with this, and I can embed this into other bits of technology and the rest of it. So it, it gives us all of the advantages of a hard money standard that was what gold originally had, but at the same time marries that with all of the advantages that, that having this abstract digital form of cash enables. We get the scarcity, the fungibility um, with, with the, the transportability, the divisibility, the, the, and, and everything else that comes with the digital side of things. So it's, it's a big deal. I think it's, I think interesting. It's, a, it's a pretty big deal. And a lot of the, my, my thesis just rests on the fact that, so one of the really good criticisms is it's like, well, yeah, okay, it's better technically. But the real challenge here with Bitcoin is the social adoption. Without it doesn't matter how great it is. If no one's using it, no one's no one's bloody using it. So it, it the the good rule of thumb with, with adoption is that if you remember the like laser disc players, or if you want to go back further and you have Betamax versus VHS, people will argue that there were better forms of technology that never got adopted. The, the difference there in all of those instances were they were a bit better and actually came with a bunch of hassle and having to retool with everything. When you have scenarios of things that are 10 times better or 100 times better, that's a very different kettle of fish. The internet is a 1,000 times better than a newspaper, like a million times better. I guess that, that adoption was always going to happen. And so maybe not, maybe I'm over-egging the pudding, but I think when you start to understand how profound some of these sort of concepts and use cases and abilities and stuff are, you've, you, so, you certainly, you see that actually this is something that is about 10 times better <laughs> than the existing system. And it seems though increasingly num large numbers of people are, are, are coming to that realization. And we're just, we're just going to have somewhat of a very rocky, scary, but nevertheless, inevitable self-fulfilling prophecy that that may play out over many 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 years so i think that's i think that's the way to think about bitcoin i don't, I don't think you want to be a i'm buying this token to get rich quick or anything like that i i think it's going to be something that the real people the real people who who share in the wealth creation that's here will be those that see and share the longer term vision and sort of are prepared to sort of 100%. wait wait for that if you want to go and trade monkey tokens and all of that kind of stuff and look at it as some hyper speculative volatile asset, you can look at it like that as well, but you know, you probably get, you'll probably get burnt. 
But it is, is it is I, where, it, where it gets me excited is in the actual technology, what it means, how it can actually change almost. It's like AI. It's like it'll be one of these techs that just touches everything. Mm. And and that makes it again. I've said it a few times, but it, it makes it a big deal. Um, Andrew, you briefly mentioned the FTX uh, scandal previously. Um, obviously, it's something that all of us have heard about, um, but I feel like not many of us know what actually happened or what actually you know took place for the whole thing to crash. Um, can you give a bit of background on what actually happened and what you think it means for Bitcoin in the crypto space? Yeah. So it's, there's there's a lot of irony in this story. So the the genius that was the um, creation of of blockchain and Bitcoin and and all the rest of it was that you didn't need central authorities. But after creating this, humanity locked onboarded itself to all these central authorities, <laughs> all these middlemen, gatekeepers, central providers, such as these exchanges. You know, so it's sort of like people bought, I mean, you need exchanges to, to buy these things, right? But then people just kept it on there. And so these completely unregulated uh, in all different kinds of jurisdictions basically decided someone invented digital scarcity and then everyone decided to copy it. And for a whole, we can get into it if you want, but for a whole bunch of reasons, they're all shit coins. They'll never last. <laughs> it's a really fascinating thing we probably should explore, but, but, but they won't. But you had all these casinos um, spin up and Okay, fine. You might take the view that adults are allowed to, to use use their money in whatever way they see fit. But you had very bad actors here, creating money out of thin air, misrepresenting their books, trading, um, wash trading, um, uh, using customer funds. All of these, I shouldn't use the word allegedly, I suppose, in some of it, all these really nefarious acts, essentially giant Ponzi schemes to, to a large degree. And people got burnt. Because they didn't actually own anything, they gave these institutions money and they just, you know, pissed it away. Um, so, so the trouble is, is that Bitcoin gets lumped in with all this talk of crypto, and people feel as though this is sort of a nail in the coffin of it all. Again, I'll repeat the point: Bitcoin hasn't missed a beat. Roughly, give or take, every ten minutes, a new block has been laid, and the system has worked uh, unceasingly, unfalteringly over this whole extended period. It's just that you've had all of these places which have which have also been trading in Bitcoin and have cross collateralized with it, you know, rehypothecated this asset and lent against it, and you know, hundred insane amounts of leverage. It's all unwound because it was always going to, and it's and that's dragged a lot of sentiment down, but it's also caused a lot of forced selling, and that's what's caused the price to go down. So if you want to take an op, if you want to take a glass half full approach to it. It's actually a gift from God, really, you know, because <laughs> this thing was... Game all bank for your buck was, now. Oh, you get... It's, it, it is on sale. As I say, every on every other metric, Bitcoin is moving in the right direction. In the price metric, it's gone drastically down because it's been sucked into this crypto bullshit vortex, which is just everyone grifting on this innovation. And you guys won't remember, but I, I'm old enough to remember. I was around in the late 90s and I started working at a broker at that point in time every fucking company put dot com on the back of its name why because it was hype it was sexy it was so much high and the, and the shares went to the moon for a short time after that it was easy money because you could arbitrage the naivety um of of investors um and and people did so with wonderful success until it came crashing down which it inevitably did and this is just that on steroids and it, it needs to happen. It was always going to happen. Thank God it's happened. Like, you know, get rid of them. So you, you, and I'll just, I'll touch on this point very quickly because people say, oh yeah, but what about Ethereum and what about this and what about the rest of it? The, the thing is, is that Bitcoin is genuinely special and unique. Now, it, as I said before, it's open source. So you, you, me, we can create our own coin right now. We just fork it. We just copy the code and start running it on our own, make some changes, run it on our own nodes, and now we've got a new wallet. But here's the problem. We kind of control it all. We've probably pre-mined it all to, to get going. Um, uh, we have hardly any, well, just us, in terms of acceptance and people who are absolutely actually using it. The security level is insanely weak because we've got hardly any miners running it. It's just like if you're going to if you're going to opt on to some digital scarcity, 
it's it's going is it going to be the one that controls 98% of the hash rate as 12,000 different independent nodes securing the network worldwide not to mention all the thousands of 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 miners that is accepted in shops right now that is traded on global exchange. The network effect is so insane that there's nothing that we could do to get it off the ground if we wanted to, even if the technology was superior to it. But it won't be. And even if it does, it's a software company. We've controlled it. We've got pro this is a problem with Ethereum. It is centrally controlled, and they've shown that to be the case. The big deal with Bitcoin is that it, it, it isn't owned by anyone. There's no marketing department. There's no CEO. It is just a, it is a, it is a community of people. It is rules without rulers, as I said. And as long as there's a few people running that and as long as enough people sort of trust that it, it will run in, in perpetuity. So if you've got any of these other shit coins, I, I guess, actually, I can give you advice because it's not regulated. My advice is dump it. I don't care if it doubles next week. It's, they're all going to zero because we've invented fire. Fire has been invented. You don't get to come and stick a, a stick into it and then run over and light one somewhere else and say, "No, look at this. I've 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 done it. It's better," you know. And, and people tend to think because we've had this experience with a lot of technologies, someone sort of invents it and then someone will make it better and better. But it's actually pretty hard to do with Bitcoin because all the right trade-offs have, have been made there. It's just a ledger. It's done in a very unique and special and interesting kind of way. But it's not, you know, it's not zero. It's not, it's not a complicated thing. Who owns what and who sends what to what? That, that's it. That's all it is. So it's kind of hit this local maximum in terms of pro programmatic efficiency and elegance. It is, it is kind of near on the perfect system. And you can say that without hubris because it's kind of like, well, what else do you want it to do? Any trade-offs that it has, and it's a very, um, it can be clunky and it's inefficient and uses a lot of energy and all of these kinds of things. They're all there, by the way, for extremely, extremely good reasons. And and what it offers in trade-off to all of that is is the the trustlessness and the permanence and the immutability aspect of 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 all of it. And and once that's been created, there'll be a lot of stuff built on top of that. So I think a lot of the crypto slash Web three guys. We're right directionally in the sense that we will have some very interesting use cases. It's just not going to be built on someone's shit token that is that is controlled by a group of people in Silicon Valley. It's going to be done on a true global commodity that's decentralized and independent and that we can all unload our trust onto. Because once we've got that base layer of trust, everything else is sort of possible. <laughs> I went way off topic and around 12 different times. No, that was really Sorry, interesting. But, I really enjoyed but, that. Actually. But I think that's the way to think about it. Dumb the shit coins, I love that. Hopefully these coins have crashed sooner rather than later. And I guess it's disappointing. A few years ago, everyone thought of Bitcoin and Ethereum as soon as they thought of crypto. But now they think of crypto and it's Terra Luna, FTX, and all. Yeah, it's just, that feels like the mm -hmm. stereotype yeah. now about crypto, well, regarding the average person, at least, in mainstream media. Depends how you look at it, though. I mean, it could be a good thing for us. If, we're, if you're looking to get into it, you can buy one for... Oh, what is it? Yeah, Six, yeah. 17,000 USD now rather than mm -hmm. whatever it was, mm -hmm. 50 or 60. This, well, this here, time here's the other thing. You, you, or you can buy 10 bucks worth, right? <laughs> you, you, you don't have to have a whole bit. It's all Satoshis, right? You, you can you can buy as much or as little as you want. This is the other. It's not like buying a house where you have to commit some big financial thing that I'm going to own a Bitcoin. It's an arbitrary sort of limit. It's like I'm opting in on 100 bucks <laughs> just to dip my toe in the water, just to experience the network, just, just to do all that kind of stuff as well. So it's, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I, I think it's something to watch. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Andrew. And um, we'll wrap things up with a few questions. Um, we've got one for you. A couple of years ago, you spoke about Bitcoin being overrated on the Equidemates Guys podcast. You think Bitcoin is overrated or underrated today? Yeah. <laughs> I think I might know I the think answer. It's under, but... I think it's underrated today. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think, I think, I think that's actually, it's such a good, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I, I joke, joke about it, but I'm actually I'm really proud of that. It's, it's one of the things I try to foster as a investor is an ability to change you, your mind. And I think, I think that's what really separate you. You've got to have that ability, not just with, with this, but with shares and everything in general. Um, and I, I gosh, I'd like, as I said at the start, I'd like to think that someone could, Tap me on the shoulder. We could have a beer, and at the end of that beer, I go and sell all my Bitcoin because I've, I've, I've fundamentally changed my my mind in all of this. Um, but 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 yeah, I, that, that's as I, I'll repeat what I said at the start. I think um, I think 
the laughing dismissing phase for all of us comes uh, what's um, what's it called? The Dunning Kruger effect. The, the yeah. least, the less you know about something, the firmer your convictions tend to be. One hundred percent. And I think this is just a perfect example of it. So by all the, by, by all means, dismiss it. I've got, I got, I don't, I don't care. You do you. Everyone needs to make their own decisions. But all I'm, all I guess I'm really advocating for here is take a look with an open mind, and you might surprise yourself. You might end up exactly what you might end up back where you started from, which is thinking that it's a scam and it's not for you. But at least you've thought about it. The, the big regret here is you don't, you don't, and again, I've lived through this, right? So I can speak with experience. You don't want to be the person who thought that the internet was overrated in 2001. <laughs> and look, the whole, the whole market has crashed. I knew it was stupid as if, as if global commerce is going to go online. You know, why can't I just use my fax machine? This is ridiculous. Um, and that, that was a once in a generation opportunity to make insane amounts of wealth. And, and just because you saw a global trend unfolding, um, uh, a little ahead of everyone else. And the, the, so the, the, the saying usually is with people getting to Bitcoin when they deserve to get into Bitcoin, you know, when you've put the effort in and thought about it, um, that's the price that, that, that is appropriate to you. And, and if you're going to just at, I know a lot of my mates are exactly like this. They just, it's an instant dismissal and they won't even entertain it. I think that's the fundamental error here. <laughs> As I said, particularly when the asymmetry on offer is, is so ridiculous. Um, anyway, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm rambling again. And um, one last question there. Any final words of advice to Bitcoin investors and potential cryptocurrency investors? Apart from dump yeah, your so shitcoins. Dump your shitcoins. <laughs> just dump them. Get rid of it. Put everything you've got, put it in, put it, everything you've got in shitcoins, put that into, into Bitcoin. Have a serious think about, of what, again, it's not all or nothing bet, right? No one's saying put 20% of your net wealth into this. Oh, I'm certainly not. But I'm, I'm saying dip your toe in the water. Just, if for nothing else, just to be a part of history here, because it feels as though something, whether it fails eventually, it'll, it'll be an interesting, you know, um, um, experiment. <laughs> um, so you, you can do that. Um, learn about it. Like go in, go, go in with an open mind. Go in with the expectation that it's going to be scarily, insanely volatile. It's just, it's just going to be. What else would it look like when something, as I said before, when you've got something organically spinning out of zero and disrupting something as fundamental as the global monetary network, you know, it's always going to be scarily volatile. I think we'll have soul-crushing falls followed by face-melting rallies and a lot of just up and down in, in between, all of that kind of stuff. So you need to prepare yourself for that. So if you've, got, if you've got some money that you're going to need in the next few years, I wouldn't touch it with Bitcoin. For me, it's sort of I put a little bit aside and I'm, I'll, I'll, the intention is to hold it until 2032. Or as I say before, I start to see a very, very different picture in terms of the adoption rate, and then, then maybe I've, I'll change my mind on it. But I think if you go in with all of that kind of stuff, it's, it's, it's something that you will find. It was something that will surprise you, and it's also something getting away from the investment lens. It'll something that will enrich you, because again, whether or not you decide to opt in in any way, it'll take Bitcoin will take you in so many different interesting directions. Like I said at the beginning, if you're interested, if you've got at all a curious mind and it comes to things like technology or computer science, cryptography, money, economics, finance, sociology, politics, uh, you know, you name it, it's, they are all, they will all be uh, informed to some degree by, by Bitcoin and, and I think you'll find it a very valuable experience. So yeah, I, have fun, have fun. I'm still, I've, <laughs> I've started going, I've, you know, as I said, I'm 18 months down the rabbit hole. I'll let you know when I hit the bottom. I haven't, I haven't hit it yet. I spend way too Enough much time ab about it. Um, but uh, whatever's going to happen, I'm here for it. Great. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show today, Andrew. And uh, anywhere, how can people get in touch Thanks, with you? Andrew. Get in contact with you and I'll, I'll attach links to Strawman and everything in the show notes. Cheers. I just, I realized too that it, this, if there was a pie chart of this podcast, it's been like 98% of me talking. So I'm so sorry to. No, no, to that's fine. Give you no, no, that's fine. Fine. I didn't know that much about Bitcoin. Now I know. Like a fair, yeah, 100%. We, we learned a lot. Of, so everyone else would have. I'm so I sorry for hogging the conversation. No, no. All good. All good. Uh, it just, it gets, it, as you can probably tell, it, fire, it fires me up a bit, this topic. Um, 
yeah, no, check me out on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon. Uh, go to strawman.com. You can create a free account, which basically just like you'll see some delayed information, but you'll be able to paper trade the ASX. So good, really good practice um, as to how you might manage a portfolio. So we use end of day prices and it's a bit of fun, but um, the full club, the, the private club is not open at this stage, but you'll see a wait list there if you're interested. We'll, we'll let you know when we're accepting new members. But yeah, other than that, really, really appreciate it. The chat, guys, and uh, yeah, look forward to chatting again. Thanks, Andrew. I'll attach all those links in the chat. Thanks for coming on.